This is Daniel Fagella, Head of Research at Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research, and you're listening to the AI in Business Podcast. We talk to founders here on the AI in Business Podcast. We talk to enterprise leaders, and we also talk to the folks who fuel that startup ecosystem and many of those founders who are growing exciting firms, the venture capitalists. VCs get a vantage point that allows them to look deep into a lot of different AI-oriented companies at once. And there's some AI firms focused specifically on artificial intelligence. Many of these venture capitalists we have had on the show in the past. Those of you who are longtime listeners have heard from folks like Floodgate. You've heard from folks like Excel out in the Bay Area. Today, we speak with Rudina Ciceri who was a previous guest years ago and had an episode not too long ago here on the AI and Business Podcast. She is the founder and managing partner at Glasswing Ventures. And Rudina speaks to us this week about how AI startups are pivoting their strategy in light of the COVID situation. This episode was recorded some six months ago, but I think a lot of the insights are still more than relevant. Rudina speaks to us about how companies are pivoting their business models and potentially changing their messaging and who they're selling to. We here at Emerge, and in fact, those of you who follow me on LinkedIn, have seen a lot of this. We've seen a lot of firms move towards more SaaS-like models where they're integrating with less data sources and they're finding ways to get more value in a shorter period of time. There's pros and cons to leaning away from transformation and more towards surface-level data access and dashboards, uh, but it's a trend that we see. Rudina has a perspective where she sees some trends herself, and I think those of you who are looking to adopt artificial intelligence uh, will be able to benefit from maybe how the vendor ecosystem is evolving, and those of you who are in the vendor ecosystem system might want to see how other companies are adapting so you can do the same yourself. One of the benefits of seeing what other innovative startups are doing is the ability to be able to pick up on trends and pick up on potential capabilities that your competitors might not be aware of or might not be taking advantage of. If you want one of Emerge's resources for spotting AI trends and being able to make the most of them in your own business, you can download our free PDF brief called Three Ways to Discover AI Trends at emerj.com slash t3. That's T as in trends, and then the number three, emerj.com slash T3. And you can download a report called Three Ways to Discover AI Trends. It should be a useful supplement to this interview, and I hope you get a lot out of both that PDF and this episode. Without further ado, this is Rudina with Glasswing Ventures here on the AI and Business Podcast. So, Radina, pleasure to have you back with us on the program. And obviously, the world has changed quite a good deal since we chatted last. I forget if it was two years ago. You know, we're in this coronavirus era where enterprises and startups and everybody's dealing with what the new normal is. I wanted to lead off with a question that I I know you're going to have some great insights on, and that is, how are technology companies, the kind of companies you invest in, particularly AI firms, how do they need to adjust the way they deliver their product, what it is that they sell? Um, maybe even how they sell, given this new reality that we're dealing with. What do you see as those major shifts? Thank you so much, Dan. It's it's always a pleasure to, to chat with you yeah. and to listen to your other podcast. So I'm, I'm so glad um, we were able to do this together. Um, your question is, is a very big and fundamental question because, you know, the environment has changed dramatically. And, you know, at the risk of stating the obvious, COVID has had a negative impact in in our health and and overall in our society. Having said that, 
for startups, particularly, and let me define startups. I can't speak broadly to the whole universe, but I hope I can speak to startups in the enterprise platform and cybersecurity markets, i.e. the ones that we typically invest in that are leveraging AI at the core of their products to create value or protect and secure, um, if you will, enterprise customers. For those companies, in many ways, COVID has actually driven acceleration of technology adoption to a speed that we have not seen before. And, and I don't make that statement lightly. It, it, at, a, at a sort of almost a gut, at a raw level, the, the time frame from March to you know today, late summer, fundamentally feels as if we have crossed the chasm of multiple years rather than rather than just a few months why because a lot of these companies are driving automation adoption cost savings incremental efficiencies security for for the for a remote world or yeah, a hybrid yeah, yeah. world so they are in spaces where Fundamentally, they were must-haves, and now they've become part of this, you know, existential or survival um, to march forward. So, from that perspective, it's not just that they are quote-unquote resilient; they actually have been net beneficiaries. And again, I'm not trying to be tone deaf to the overall environment. Of course, but for many of the companies that you know were leveraging AI and differentiating themselves, they, they have really, truly seen the momentum pick up, and it's not surprising if you if you look at my industry sort of early stage venture as you can imagine in you know q2 late q1 and q2 a lot of the activities started to slow down as everyone was trying to figure out what uh, you know what the current circumstances meant and yet the companies that have continued to receive funding uh, from an investor point of view have been ai companies that is no accident i don't know did i answer part of yeah, your question yeah yeah i think so let, let me i'm going to try to dial into it because i know there's a lot of nuance here it, is there any commonality of these firms so you know you had said companies that are driving efficiency etc could we say sort of you know the, the firms that are getting really speedy adoption. They have X things in common. Can, can we put those X's in a box here just for the listeners? Sure. Um, I, I will attempt. Let's see okay. if I can <laughs> yeah. We'll give it a go. I think what they have in common is that they're tapping in some of the, the themes that COVID has created needs for. For example, remote, whether it's remote learning, remote health, you know, telehealth, or just purely remote productivity, remote, you know, working. What that means is that the need for for the more of the data to move to the cloud has become a today problem. It was already today, but now you really need to get it done today because we're all trying to access the data in the cloud. So how do you bring this? So if you are a company that is leveraging some facet of AI or some new capability, let, let's even divorce it from AI. Just if you're an enterprise player that can and help you know large enterprises bring down the cost of storing data in the cloud you are a must have and then of course you know the best the best product hopefully wins and and the best execution but that is a common theme anything that brings down sort of uh, enables further adoption of cloud infrastructure 
at a software level and, and lowers the cost, those companies have been net beneficiaries. And by the way, you see it in the private markets and in the startups at the cutting edge, you see that how Amazon and Microsoft have been doing, yeah, uh, yeah. And, and et cetera. So that's one. Any company that further drives remote productivity, whether it's automation of the of the demoing process of the product, you know, you in the past have, have interviewed Tala and Xylotech, mm -hmm. those types of profiles, customer success automation, intelligence for your B2B CDPs, those sort of places. So broadly, what I would call human augmentation and automation they have seen pretty strong traction. Certain verticals have seen a lot of traction. Supply chain, why? Because they were hit pretty hard and they needed to optimize and, and look for efficiencies in ways that were physically distant. So if you can't be in a manufacturing facility or only a limited number, we're going to look at other technologies around software and optimization inventory and the likes that can drive you know results and then of course security both cyber and physical security you know we're all working remotely we have now all become targets for our respective yep, enterprises yep, yep. to be attacked and then on the physical security around tracing and how do you mitigate and and this is going to be physical security i think is going to be a and softwareization and in, you know i'm bringing intelligence to physical security is going to be a big and persistent theme going forward how even in a hybrid environment whether you're in a college setting whether you're in a, a corporate setting uh, how do you think about tracing how do you think about managing your students who might be socially distancing how are you operating you know, operationalizing, cleaning of spaces, all things that we didn't have to contend with in the past, but will probably be relatively permanent operational facets that we will need to contend with in the future. Yeah. So, so you know, we, we've got some of these new, I guess, needs that have cracked themselves wide open with some degree of urgency, thanks to, you know, the coronavirus here. We also have a lot of challenges. You know, I, I'm, I'm certainly in long term an AI optimist. I'm an AI optimist to the degree to which I think that within the next hundred years, uh, you know, we'll see gargantuanly radical long term changes to, to humanity. But um, that's that's its own its own topic. But but I'm a long term optimist. But you know, we, we talk to enough startups, enough services companies where there's some folks faring better than others in this environment. So I'll throw a couple themes at you and, and see if any of these resonate or if you have you know maybe things you'd want to say about them. So one is that with regard to startup companies, certainly R&D budgets is sort of part of what a lot of initial AI pilot projects draw from. You know, not for any bad reason. It just happens to be what it is. You know, they're, they're newer projects. Often they're going to be nascent. You know, they're companies that, that aren't, you know, it's not IBM here. We're working with something new. And so we've got our, our sandbox, you know, we're, we're working on it. Hopefully if the startup does a good job, it'll be integrated. A lot of that stuff you know, has kind of been sloughed off. And some of the considerations around prerequisites to AI deployment, like let's say preparing our data infrastructure, getting our cross-functional teams together to work with the vendor and understand where the problem sets are and, you know, uh, determine the features we want to train on and all, all that collaboration stuff. A lot of the, the limited money and then the remoting of, of everything we're doing has also in some cases, not all, made it harder to set the table, the data table, the team table, the culture table to actually move AI projects forward. So, so we sort of have, you know, the, these forces that, that let us know we need to transform, but we also have less money. We have, we have R&D budgets getting pulled back and we have some of the prereqs 
um, that might be a little bit more challenging to get to. It feels like those are kind of countervailing forces and anything, you know, from your perspective that maybe I'm missing on the countervailing side or anything you want to talk about or address with regards to them. Yeah, so the, the most fundamental point that perhaps I will raise is most of the companies and the investments that we make as an AI fund are actually companies that are solving what I would call real problems for the enterprises that run the gamut in terms of the departments and where the budgets come from. In fact, I would take it as far as to say very few are drawing dollars from an R&D budget or from a, um, if you will, an innovation budget of, of sorts, because most of these companies, you know, are going in and working, I don't know, with your cloud adoption team or DevOps team. So the budget is not coming out of the R&D, let's learn about AI. In fact, a critical point is they lead with, here's the problem I'm solving for you, marketing ops leader or DevOps leader, or, you know, CS. So, you know, on the cybersecurity side. So the budgets are actually coming out of highly operational areas rather than purely R&D. So because the premise is different, you know, it goes as far as how much value they are adding to the, you know, in solving the problem rather than where do I rank AI? In fact, AI oftentimes then is a, I call it a fake indicator of interest for custom with customers. And what I mean by that is if you and I form a startup today and we start calling on enterprises, hi, this is Dana Rudina. We have a new AI startup that does X, Y, Z. We will get a lot of meetings and calls, an unfair number. Why? Because the enterprises know AI is the future and know the transformative power. And in many ways, they're trying to be educated. So what we guide our our portfolio companies to do is to go and talk about the problem they're solving. And only when you get in the how and the differentiation do you do a deep dive in AI. Does that make sense? 100% makes sense. I mean, we we advocate precisely the same. I, I would argue that you may have met very few people who have slain the buzzword dragon of AI as thoroughly and robustly in as many sources of media as I have over the course of the, the last couple of years. So um, yeah, certainly, you know, th- that that's that's still sort of in play. Uh, fortunately or unfortunately, attention can still be garnered by the buzzwords. That said, you know, and, and I happen to know, we, we as it turns out, we run a lot of lead generation campaigns for startups, normally startups that have raised 50 million or more. Um, and, and it's almost always going to be head of X directors or occasionally VPs that are targeted. Functional business leaders are, are going to be the people that we want to draw our funds from uh, when we actually learn. It takes companies a lot of bumbling time to figure that out, but you're talking about addressing and reaching those same people. To be frank, though, it does feel to me as though even for them, you know, we have six things that we're doing in the compliance department. Maybe not all six are going to survive. So I think the meta point is that it's not just the toy. So toy AI, app, AI applications are unfortunately still common. But squarely something that that I frown upon, we frown upon, and consistently beat into the heads of our listeners that that they too should frown upon and think about things more intelligently. So even scraping toy applications off the table, you know, pure sandbox, happy fun time, you know, sunshine projects, even thinking about real, you know, fraud detection programs, real, you know, product recommendation, whatever the, the application is, if we've got six things going on, it still feels like budget gets hit, company gets hit. Um, and the companies that are nascent, you know, maybe we don't have a lot of success stories. We're an AI company that just raised 20 mil or, you know, in, in some cases, maybe only eight 
And, you know, we've got a couple promising things, but but not much else. So we're not quite treating you like a guinea pig, but, you know, we're, we're learning with you. Us little startup and you, even if you're a functional business leader, we're, we're still learning with you. Some of that stuff is still getting nipped, no matter how you slice it, because dollars are going away. What is it, you know, you had mentioned it's about how much value these companies can add. Man, you know, what does it look like to for, for these firms who are, who are fighting in this, you know, admittedly potentially more penny-pinching environment, what does it look like for them to prove that, you know, I deserve to be one of the three of six projects that you don't cut? You know, you had mentioned value. You know, what have you seen as kind of the survival factors there? Because I, I, I really, you know, I, I, re- I really do see it as, as potentially a pretty tough environment. I'm going to push back. That, that I'm, if I may, then. Go, go for it. Uh, you know, survival, it's not the word I would use. And if you take n- nothing else away from me, in this current environment, anything that's driving automation is getting, is beyond survival mode. I mean, it's not even approaching survival mode. You're actually seeing faster adoption and faster dollars. So it is fascinating to me that uh, the experience that you and then sort of are having versus what I am seeing in the market. You fundamentally, what you do, if it's a fraud detection play, for example, you fundamentally if that is a big enough problem and the problem persists, and in fact, in this environment, you'd expect it to become bigger rather than smaller, you go and compete on you know, results. You go and compete on with, with everybody that might be in the market that is using or not using AI. And that's my point. You focus on the outcomes and the results that you generate. Verison, who you've had in your show, on your show, yep, yep. Ver- then, um, you know, they're optimizing um, basically inventory, leveraging AI to optimize inventory for non-production parts. If you, in the first 90 days of having a particular large customer, generated 30 million in verified cost savings, hard dollars, I tell you what, there is plenty of a budget for you. Oh, yeah, no, no, no doubt about it. Easier said than done, and neither you nor I are going to question that. But, but yes, obvious, obviously, if we can quantify it, then it is what it is. But that's my point. You go in in areas where you quantify how many spam attacks you preemptively and prescriptively can protect, How by how much you bring the cost of data. So maybe the answer to your question is, if you're if you can quantify and and qualitatively and quantitatively the true value that you're bringing and if you are truly as impactful you will define yeah and actually well Rudina you know I think you're bringing up a really great point because a lot of companies and you know this as well as I do and you know we've talked to probably too many AI startups you know man it's it's two and a half years in and it's not because these are dumb people but it's two and a half years in when they can start to say here are the reliable needles we can move so i've talked to conversational interface companies who thought that it was about you know call center whatever hours reduction of call center humans or something like that but but it actually turned out to be like two or three other proxy metrics that still were really really strong indicators of efficiency but they were more reliable to track so we could track them and feel good about them we could call them ground truth more often and we could move the needle on them more measurably more often and then have a bit more control over it so it takes a little bit to dial that in obviously that's super important you're emphasizing this for your companies is there anything firms should bear in mind you know they're thinking about geez, what can we reliably track, you know, in, in a world where data is often clunky and it's really, really hard for an enterprise. Sometimes it's, it's more frustrating for an enterprise to go back and say, here's exactly what needles were moved than we would prefer. Any, any advice for building that plan? Because I think it's such an important point you just mentioned. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I will give you again my, my experience with looking across our companies. 
typically from what we see, let's say from zero to $2 million in revenue, uh, once a company is in the market, we sort of expect to see that level of traction somewhere as early as in the first six months and as late as maybe, you know, four to five quarters. But that's sort of the time frame. If you're not getting adoption at that Place, then I think there are a couple of levers that one needs to think about. And perhaps before you're in the market, rather than finding out the hard way, one being, are you market making or are you, is there a market already yeah. that you're happy yeah. in? Because you're talking about conversational AI, a space that, you know, I've looked at at Nozum and honestly have not pulled the trigger on investments, not because we haven't seen amazing technologies, but because fundamentally, while we are getting there, remember the window of an investment is basically 18 to 24 months in between rounds. So will the company gain adoption? Is the market ready for that technology? Will they need to evangelize? Are the, Do they have tailwinds, headwinds? So one big question is, how right or wrong are you about the assumptions around the markets? Sometimes it's better to go into markets where you already have competition because everybody's evangelizing rather than go at it alone. So that can have all sorts of ramifications where you have the right product and you have the right vision, your market timing is off. Just one example, because as I hear you talk, I'm like, okay, but that could be, let's, let's give them all the benefit of the doubt in terms of they're creating their amazing value that they thought they were going to create. They can be transformative to the customer. Check, check, check. Is the customer ready for that? Is it a nice to have yeah, or is it a must yeah. have problem? So I think, and that's where I think, you know, having domain expertise as we do in, in my firm and why we focus only on B2B software rather than, you know, other facets um, is important. You really need to understand the markets that you operate in and hence the companies that you're backing. Yeah, yeah. So lessons for the folks tuned in. Clearly having really robust context on the space you're you're addressing and going after and understanding that what you're doing is a real problem, understanding it's actually going to resonate. And sometimes, you know, you want to resonate with a problem that's known, not one that's not known. Surely not every time, but sometimes. And then secondly, it sounds like, you know, really being able to, to know those needles you can move. Hey, when we go in, here's the metric we're going to keep our eyes on and we're going to prove to our client, look, you're, you got to keep us around. Because this is this is a result that you can't turn down. Really being able to dial that in earlier rather than later, it sounds like. Yeah, absolutely. And also, again, trying to talk your customers' language. It is all fascinating to hear about the, the very cool way you took a general adversarial network and <laughs> yeah, didn't yeah, yeah, yeah. to or to vision, but applied it to natural language understanding in a way that has not been done before. Thank you very much for the conversation. And yes, I think you're smart. On I move to my day job. No, you go in and you talk about how you're helping make my day job a lot easier, how you're helping me and my enterprise succeed. And the fact that you are doing it by leveraging this new cutting edge techniques, well, gosh, that's even that's even better. One more cherry on top. I think if, if we can wrap our heads around these innovative solutions in that manner, the adoption will be much, much more accelerated. Big time. I think that the companies that aren't uh, middling and ridiculous, I think, already understand that resonate with, resonating with a genuine problem is, is super important. And just to double down on it, as you've said, you really even want to speak the language of those people and the language of their day-to-day -day 
If you can do that, probably going to bode better for you as an AI startup out in the field. So for those of you uh, product companies and startups tuned in, hopefully this has been helpful for you in terms of molding your own strategy moving forward in this coronavirus era. Rudina, thank you so much for being able to join us for another episode on the podcast. Thank you so much, Dan. Always fun to, to brainstorm and discuss with you these ideas. So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. A big thank you to Rudina for being able to join us. She was a great guest a couple years back, and we're really happy to be able to have her back on the program, sharing some of her high-level perspective on the evolution of AI startups. Uh, and I'm grateful to you for being our listener and for staying tuned all the way through. As I mentioned before, being able to get a wide perspective from VCs is helpful for picking up on trends and new capabilities. You can download our free PDF brief called Three Ways to Discover AI Trends. It's a short, I think it's a five-page PDF. Brief. So it's not a long weekend read. This is something you can put in action relatively quickly. You can download that free PDF brief at emerj.com slash T3. That's T as in trends and then the number three, emerj.com slash T3. That's all for this episode. I look forward to catching you in the next one here on the AI and Business Podcast.